G.I. Joburg podcast episode number 16. This is our episode dealing with the drought of G.I. Joe. It's a sad time for fans and collectors alike. With the movie still on the distant horizon, we have no new G.I. Joe toys to purchase. So our attentions have had to move elsewhere to other toy lines. (gasps) So gasp, we are not going to be discussing much G.I. Joe in this podcast at all. But rather, what we do when the pickings are slim, when there is no Joe in our lives. But first, a little news about G.I. Joeberg. This is the first episode where all three of your hosts, Rob, Paul, and Steve, are actually in different geographical locations. Robert is broadcasting from Cape Town, Paul is broadcasting from Johannesburg, and myself, I am in Singapore, which is a little bit odd. It's a case of following wherever the work takes me, friends. And right now, I'm in the Far East. Yeah, with all the cool stuff. Agreed. My goodness, friends, this is a gold mine. And I realize I'm not going to be able to save very much money in this part of the world. But hey, I'm living the life. So I suppose I might as well talk about that. Um, I recently celebrated a birthday and decided to treat myself to two of the five items that I was searching for on this trip. I managed to find an Imperial Walker, or all-terrain armored transport, pretty quickly at Toys R Us. They are currently selling the Endor exclusive version of the most recent AT-AT release, with the one glaring change, which is it's got a case of shit foot. <laughs> I mean, they've just added a massive brown paint app to the feet of the AT-AT. Which, eh, I suppose it's easy to overlook, but I would have preferred the regular release. I think it's an unnecessary addition. It's not like this thing was ever really showcased heavily in the Endor sequences from Return of the Jedi, but hey, since I'm not going to likely be able to play in the snow with my AT-AT, since South Africa never gets snow and neither does Singapore, I will most certainly be playing with it in mud. So, a case of brown walker feet is uh, not amiss. And I also found sort of number two on my wish list, which is the Masterpiece Transformer version of Rodimus Convoy, or Hot Rod, if you will. And that is one sweet Transformer, I must say. For those of you who were fans of the 1986 Transformers animated movie, he was the protagonist. You got the touch. You got the motion. What? Power. (laughs) You got the touch. You got the motion. I think it's motion. Yeah. You got the power. But yeah, if you were a fan of that movie, Hot Rod certainly found a place in your heart. Paul, if you don't stop wrestling that packet, I'm gonna not be able to do anything. <laughs> For a change. Uh, yeah, we're separated by many, many thousands of kilometers. Or miles, if you're Imperial. So that's me. Uh, in terms of new acquisitions, I also picked up a Halo Mega Blocks set featuring the Master Chief and a Mongoose quad bike. It's fun. 
I really enjoyed having a little bit of Lego to throw around. If you've been following this podcast, uh, I mentioned how I could definitely see myself buying the G.I. Joe Creons. Well, the Halo Mega Blocks are, in fact, I'd say superior to Hasbro's building block efforts in terms of quality and just the range of motion that you can achieve with the minifigures. I mean, they do kind of make Lego men look like special ed. Lego men. <laughs> yeah, like clunky. I mean, the Master Chief from Mega Blocks is an action figure in every sense of the word. Wrist articulation, ball-jointed head, ball-jointed arms, ball-jointed legs, knee bends and elbow bends. I mean, you can get him to do two-handed gun grips. And it's one cool little figure with no metal parts, so you can play with him in the bath. Oh, yeah. All the Mega Blocks licenses have different articulations, so the Power Ranger ones are more akin to Lego Men. You're not going to be using your Power Rangers to you know, execute Kung Fu moves. I mean, come on. I know, that's why I don't understand um, the, the idea behind all of that, but that's, I mean, the World of Warcraft ones have different articulation. I think the Mega Blocks line is very interesting. My only like gripe with them is they don't have the best sculpts. I also bought myself a set of them. And relative, them. relative to what, Paul? We're talking about competitors to the Lego Man. And let's face it, the Lego Man has had a pretty standard shape for decades, 30 years plus. What is your grief with the um, Mega Blocks body sculpt? My one Halo figure's shoulder armor, it looks like a splodge. And then his other one is nicely detailed. That's what I don't like. I don't like the inconsistency. It's not so much that the molding could be improved. It's just I don't like the inconsistency. But for the price, it's fair, you know? Agreed. Yeah. Hmm. Certainly a lighter alternative to Lego blocks. So, yeah, yeah it's big fun. And I wouldn't mind picking up the Tilt Rotor Croft. I think it's called the Falcon. Just waiting for the prices to drop a little bit. I see this stuff going on clearance all the time, and I, I wait for the choice items to hit that rack. Yeah, the Halo stuff's going to be pretty hot at the moment with the release of Halo 4, just uh, to keep that in mind. Yeah, because Halo 4, the game, has just come out and everybody's got Halo fever. Even on this side, a lot of those Mega Blocks are actually selling, specifically the Halo stuff. Oh, oh dear. I've <laughs> just noticed a problem with good old Mega Blocks Master Chief. It seems stress marks have developed on his hands. Now, I was wondering if those very thin hands with the kind of gummy style of plastic would be a problem, and alas, friends, it is. Yeah, you have to insert all the weapons on the top of the hand, not like by clipping it on. Easy enough with the weapons, but if you're trying to put his hands onto handlebars or other different uh, types of grips, you might encounter problems trying to slide things in. You might have to snap them in place, which is obviously going to cause these stress marks and probably lead to the hands breaking. Oh, well, you know, I guess Lego's onto something when they stuck to a very standard, albeit limited, construction. Yeah, um, Mega Blocks, are they sort of mini-mates quite a bit bigger? Uh, they're a little bit smaller than mini mates, eh? Okay. Yeah, they're very similar in, in articulation, but they are smaller. Mm. Uh, I'd say Mega Bloks minifigures are smaller and superior in articulation, and what to mini mates? To mini mates, yeah. Mini mates are more stylized; they're more sort of collectibles, whereas Mega Bloks figures do seem like they're meant to be played with. Ooh, really? I mean, I'm looking at like a couple now on Diamond Select, and there's some really cool figures here. They come with accessories and guns. Yeah, there's like a SWAT team version of a, of a character here. <laughs> well, I stand to be corrected, and you have just put me in my place. Congratulations, Robbie. Um, well, it'll probably same, never happen again. On the <laughs> same note, <laughs> on the same note, has anybody checked out the Meccano Gears of War? No, that sounds cool. Meccano's well, franchise now too. Terrific. Yep, dude. 
And Giz was and, a terrific franchise to pick up. Amazing. And I'd, mm. just, I'd love to know what scale the vehicles are, because, dude, when you see them, you'll want them for Joes, if they're big enough. And they've got a very cool dropship. Mm, true. And they've got a very cool APC, yeah. Well, it's all a case of how far Meccano's come to disguising the fact that it's Meccano. I mean, they got molded parts. If you see it, you wouldn't think it was Meccano. Well, then it's a so, winner. Oh, my goodness. We've just uncovered another toy line to start collecting in addition to G.I. Joe. And it's all very timely, yeah. I suppose, since this drought persists. Yeah, we have to find other things. But anyway, yeah. that's me and me my uh, new purchases. How about you, Paul? Anything fun come in in the last few weeks? Sadly not, except for um, me buying uh, two of those, uh, two sets of those Halo mini Mega Blocks. Oh, which sets? The little weapons rack. I got the desert set. So I got the one guy. He's the desert scout, and he's got like a little armor rack uh, in the back, so you can change his gear out, his arms and his armor and his helmets. And he's got like a silenced SMG and a machine gun or an assault rifle. And then I got another one, which is a three pack, and it's got two of the grunts with um, another dude. It's an EOD guy, and a few other cool guns, also with an armor rack put on, everything on. And I've actually had a lot of fun with those. I've actually really been like messing with them. Uh, um, it's surprising. They actually remind me of, of G.I. Joe's. Alas, I wish we'd had these rounds when I was younger, because it's exactly what I wanted my Lego blocks to be able to do. Yeah, exactly. To be imitation yeah. G.I. Joe's, but to be able to build their fortresses out of Lego and whatnot. Now kids can do that. What a great idea. No, it's a Amazing idea. Another thing that I've got, but it hasn't quite landed with me yet, I bought uh, from that series, uh, Saint Seiya, I got a figure called uh, Phoenix Iki. Um, I just got built for it the other day. And um, my Snake Eyes uh, should be built anytime now as well. So I should be receiving him, my Sideshow Snake Eyes, as well as my Sideshow Batman and Sideshow Solid Snake to follow. So you and finally caved a- and got your Sideshow Snake Eyes. Yeah. yeah. It's only a matter of time, my friend. See, the, the reason I caved was because originally he was looking a bit too bulky and Sideshow had actually said, no, they're going to be slimming on some of the gear just to make him look a bit more Snake eyes I appreciated that, and so I'll be getting Snake Eyes and Timber. <laughs> very good, very good. After saying that you were going to pass on him, I guess Sideshow know their market well enough to know how to win you over. <laughs> well, Sucker. They're, they're just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is Timber articulated as well or not? Uh, yes, he is, he is. They were selling him separately, weren't they? Oh, no, they sold a, an inarticulate version okay. with a, a diorama. I'm really excited about Master Peep's Soundwave. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, it's some, my favorite Decepticon, so... The yeah, store so that I purchased uh, Hot Rodimus, or Rodimus Convoy, or Hot Rod, or whatever you want to call him, were informing me of the anticipated release date of Soundwave. I forgot it immediately, but they said I could put myself <laughs> on a pre-order list. Look, bottom line is, I'll get one, come hell or high water. But yeah, it's a keeper. It's definitely a, a beautiful toy and a great presentation of possibly the most uh, iconic Decepticon. I mean, let's face it, whose face sculpt more closely resembles the Decepticon symbol than Soundwave's? Exactly. None of them. Exactly. Soundwave <laughs> is the ultimate Decepticon. <laughs> Soundwave superior to Autobots. Operation Tidal Wave. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and I'm also in a draw for a gold-plated Optimus Prime and trailer, which they're oh, wow. raffling at that store. Every time you drop a hundred huh. sing dollars, you get an entry form. It's pretty sweet, and it's official. Uh, official Hasbro Singapore competition. I mean, you have to well, post your entry form to Hasbro Singapore. See, that's what I love about the Asian territories, because 
if you take Gundam uh, collecting, for example, there's so many model kits that uh, they like see through you or they also like got like some kind of shiny plating or weird color scheme or whatever. And they're only available through like competitions or having been like a loyal customer to a store, that kind of thing. They don't ship out. And if they do, they want like prices for them. (laughs) And I find there's an emphasis on upping the presentation of toys. I mean, I've seen, yes. I've seen Transformers classics, you know, the kind of, the initial wave that I actually purchased in the States with Astro Train and once again Hot Rod and Bumblebee and so on and so forth. They had a, an Optimus Prime, they had a Jetfire. But the Japanese releases of those same, same sculpts are done up in a great metallic spray scheme and they just look like real cars. It's like, they just upped the production values and made them something really special. And of course, they come in blind packages. You've got great photography and art of the toy, but you never get that kind of blister pack card presentation, which I've always had a, a strong liking for. I mean, it's just so much nicer to get a box, which is why those uh, you know yeah, I'm- early G.I. Joe presentation and early Star Wars presentation was so superior to what we get now. Yes. Although now there's because kind of a revisit, revisit to the nostalgia and uh, re- revisiting those old values of blind boxing. Well, exactly. I mean, um, a big thing for me with Japanese collectibles, because I'm very, uh, very much into them, and I, we'll get a chance to get into them later in the show, is I really think if there's one thing that I have a serious you know, toy burner for, it's Japanese packaging. <laughs> I love it. Well, who doesn't? Look no further than, once again, the Masterpiece Collection of Transformers. Or, slightly before that... The Dreamwave boxed sets. They yes. all were in exquisite white and colorful packaging um, with very, very high-end art of the uh, particular first-generation Transformer. It just upped the stakes. You honestly thought you were buying a piece of history as opposed to just a, a reissue toy. Let's face exactly. the facts. The G1 Transformers were kind of clunky, but the majesty that these packages bestowed upon them just made them... The must-have items, and wow, do they come on some pretty high prices now? <laughs> Glad I got them at the time. All right, let's get a little bit of GI Joe back into the mix, since we are on a podcast called GI Joeberg. Uh, we decided to introduce two new segments to our show. The first deals with uh, an action figure attribute that was head and shoulders above the rest. Uh, we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> That's not funny. Actually, I think it's funny. Okay, okay, okay. We're talking parts. And in this segment, we're dealing with Cobra Viper head sculpts or helmets. And which the three of us uh, thought were the finest additions to the line. And I'm going to break the ice by saying that the Frag Viper had the coolest head sculpt, I think, bar none. And there are three very definite reasons for this. It had the most distinctly insect-like appearance, with those bug eyes, and if you remove the black pipe from the front end, it looked like it had a proboscis, like you'd be able to drain the life force out of someone with this long protruding point, which just fires my, it fires my imagination. Okay, so that's reason number one, that it's got this insane sort of insect-like sci-fi attribute. Point number two is that it's molded in this fantastic, almost shiny silver. It's a kind of a, a mix-match silver. Um, 
that does have a slight sheen to it and a bit of a silver flecking, which makes it look like a steel head. And the way that it descends into the body sculpt, you know, in the old school G.I. Joe tradition, the neck and ball joint and head was one solid piece. So the neck would actually descend into the body as opposed to the head sitting on top of a ball joint and that joint being married to the body. So this setup made it look like it actually had steel skin, that the uniform was actually just a kind of a casing for this metallic insectoid robot creature, which once again just fired my imagination as to what this actually was. It wasn't just a viper. This was something that could possibly be taken in other directions, sort of science fiction directions. I mean, once again, Star Wars is always going to be a heavy influence on my life, and the bounty hunters were one of those cool elements that I always took from The Empire Strikes Back and wanted to kind of replay in my playtime, my, my sort of imagined universe. So those are the two points. And the third point I kind of touched on already, the fact that this metallic insectoid head is at complete odds with the rest of the uniform's color palette. So you've got this tan uniform, which actually just looks like clothing put on top of this endoskeleton, which yeah. once again brings in like a Terminator angle. Wicked. Who's up next? So one of my favorite Cobra uh, Troopers, at least I think he has a very distinctive look. But at the same time, his outfit makes him completely against like what he actually is supposed to do as a range fighter. He looks so cool, but I mean, like his purpose is kind of defeated by the fact he's wearing blue and black. But still, his head is just so formidable. It's just—it looks like his skin has just been stripped away from his head and brain. You can see this suspicious grimace on his face as he sort of descends upon you in, in the middle of nowhere. And I think. And with those red eyes, that are obviously some sort of, I don't know, night vision goggles or something. I just think it's so sinister. I need this guy in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, he's got a very terminated face. Um, I've always loved the skull motif uh, for his face. It's actually yeah, my favorite as well. Uh, yeah, right? And um, I especially love that the 25th version of it is removable. Yes, as well. Uh, but that's taken from the direct-to-consumer range viper. And while... Yeah, it's nice that it's removable. What do you get underneath? A balaclava head. I'd rather mm. it not be removable and get those cool red eyes. And the mm. brain sort of helmet look. Instead of it looking kind of like... I don't know, like a ski mask or a... It looks like a sporting mask of some kind. <laughs> look, mm. I, I guess I, I, I'm always going to tend more towards the, the vintage designs over the re-sculpts for the most part. I mean, where they've taken the vintage and actually improved upon it, I'd go for that. But the direct-to-consumer line was experimental in some ways, and I think that is at odds with the values of the 25th anniversary line, which is trying to be as faithful as possible. But the Range Viper in the 25th anniversary line in that assault or defensive, uh, the defensive Cobra Island 7-pack, that is a cost-cutter. I mean, it's, it's not a case of them doing the most faithful rendition but rather using a piece that they had from a previous Range Viper incarnation and getting a bit more mileage out of it. I disagree with you there, fellas. Or Paul. I disagree with you, Paul. Oh. Well, then, then luckily I chose yeah. the original. I mean, I mean, just the sculpting is amazing. Just the little ridges and, and the teeth themselves are very well defined, I think, as well. Mm. And, yeah, it just looks great. Very unique, I think, amongst Many of the troopers are often just have sort of a face 
on you know on, on their head and then like a helmet. It goes great lengths to be sinister, which I think is something that the um, Frag Viper does as well. Yeah, I think that's true. So no, I wonder... he looks like Fallon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very Star Wars-esque. Uh, so, Paul, are you going to drop the ball? Yeah, I'm going to... like. Okay, well, you're going to be surprised. It's not 20 foot modern sculpt. Um, Sector yeah. Viper! <laughs> love the fishbowl! <laughs> no, I love the fishbowl. Again, <laughs> Croc Master, which is awesome. Game. Okay, because I didn't hear Croc. Okay, I didn't hear Croc Master. Yeah. Um, actually, I've always Croc <laughs> <laughs> Master. Really? <laughs> That's what I heard. That's terrible. I'm like, oh, Rob, you're just being facetious. <laughs> <laughs> Cobra Animal Trainer. <laughs> 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 I really love the interrogator's helmet. Okay. I really, I think it's such an amazing sculpt. I really, really love it. I hate the fact that he comes with a frickin' battle helicopter thing, but I really love his helmet. I think he's so creepy looking. Buddy, you could easily forget that. about the bloody battlecopter. Just keep the figure. No, Deke it's... won't let me. <laughs> right. I take it he's married to that damn thing in all the episodes. I haven't watched it. Can you tell? A close second. Um, and this is like more classic as the alley viper. I just don't mm-hmm. the reason I knocked him down is just because he's always had that. He always looked a bit fat on his head, but you can't blame him. That's 20 foot. But like that's an endearing head sculpt for me as well. Fair enough. But back to the interrogator. It uh, appears to me he's a kind of a hybrid. It looks kind of like Mandalorian armor, like yes. Boba Fett would use, mixed up with Darth Vader colors and some sort of fanciful. I don't know, neo-Nazi officer garb. It's a, it's an interesting look. And that helmet definitely sure. looks like Nazi of the future. Yes, it, I dig it for that. I think it looks so freaking awesome. And I also like the fact that he's unique. He's not, that's, the other, that's the only like, thing I was kind of like, mm, maybe I should mention. You know, it's like, there's a lot of really amazing mass-produced you know, vipers out there, like you said, the Frag Viper, which is a very good choice, by the way. No shit. I like that. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> The other one, yeah, there's Modesty also, like, does not have a home here. It's like, I also really love the undertow. The undertow, and as a... Like, I love his mask. It's so... To scale. It's not like this massive diving mask where he's like, you know, little head. It's like this little diving mask that goes with his little head, and you can put it... Paul, like, also, you only yes. get one pick, buddy. I know, I know, <laughs> but I had to get your interrogator now. Good man. The other segment that we're going to introduce is a more rotational one. Each episode... Uh, one of us will discuss a weapon that we uh, always had a strong inclination towards and why. And uh, this episode is my turn, <laughs> and I'm going to showcase 1989's Countdown Pistol, or SMG. I always loved this gun, somewhere between the fact that it's molded in a very cool grey plastic, not altogether unlike the Frag Viper head now that I think of it. But its shape was just so futuristic, yet not. It could look like a laser gun, but then it's got this cool little magazine protruding out of the front end. It really does look like a heavily modified pistol of some sort. And that's why I absolutely fell in love with it. By being a pistol, it was the kind of weapon that could be wielded in one hand, 
And let's face it, with the old school Joes, one-handed gun-wielding seemed to make a lot more sense because you could never twist their wrists to accurately wield a weapon in both hands. So you'd have your protagonist wielding this cool spray gun, as it were, very heavily influenced by Blade, to be honest, and his modified Uzi. And on the other hand, he would be wielding a sword. And uh, no points for guessing that the sword that typically saw use for me was the 1989 Snake Eyes sword with those cool little holes in it. Um, and those two weapons were the primary equipment loadout of uh, a custom character of mine, which I used to play with to death. Um, so yeah, he would marauder around spraying bad guys with uh, the Countdown SMG and then uh, hacking them to pieces with Snake Eyes' sword. So I was half expecting you to say Countdown Special Source. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Whatever, Paul. It's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> and for our five listeners, the three of you that did laugh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, at this point, I'd like to make a shout-out to someone who's tacitly big up us online. There's a blog out there which I frequent called Icebreakers HQ and on his podcast lists he has listed G.I. Joburg. Like, oh cool. Yeah. We're right in the mix with what's on Joe Mind and flag points and all that good stuff. That's really cool. What's the what's the site called blog called Yo, again? It's uh it's a blog called Yojo Icebreaker. That's one word. Dot blogspot and then whatever your area is, I mean, I've got it on .sg, but that's because I'm in Singapore. I imagine it would be .com, most everywhere else. Oh, cool. I will check that out. That sounds awesome. Yeah, guys, take a look at uh, what he does. I mean, it's it's always an inspiring read, because he's a collector just like us, and he loves to talk toys, which is exactly what we do. <laughs> so let's get into it, fellas. In this troubled time of G.I. Joe droughts, we're reminded of an earlier time when G.I. Joe stopped appearing on the shelves and pegs, and we were forced to do other things, go otherwhere in our toy collecting, um, break new ground, or not. Uh, I imagine a lot of people after 1994, and perhaps even earlier, decided to hang up the, the hobby for good, and only now, very recently, kind of rediscovered what it is that they absolutely adored as children and now as adults about collecting G.I. Joe. Paul, what did you do after 1994? I discovered golf. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> someone would say that, and it had to be you. Of course. Casanova. I discovered boy. That's amazing. Okay, so... So, before I lose my chain of thought... Um, actually, in 1994, and it's funny you say that, um, Ballways Mall, uh, which is quite a big mall here in Joburg, had just been opened. And uh, there weren't that many malls up here. There was only Northgate, and... Cresta, which were like the big boys, and then obviously Sandton City. And uh, yeah, there was the G.I. Joe thing was sort of coming down, uh, screeching to a halt or grinding to a halt. We had um, neon ninjas everywhere. It was very disappointing and sad. And uh, I used to, the Toys R Us I used to frequent, uh, and the toy shops I used to frequent used to all have the same figures, so you used to get bored of it. But uh, strangely enough, a few lines used to pop up. My favorite things, and uh, the reason I mentioned uh, Four Ways Mall is when it opened, they had a massive Lego display. Uh, set up it, uh, outside the arcade, the newly formed arcade, which was massive, by the way. And it was the Ice Lego. It was the Ice Explorers Lego. 
And that sort of immediately captured my imagination because they had little see-through orange chainsaws. It was like Space Lego had gone a little bit for me and it had gone the way I wanted it to. And uh, into being I'm, quite offensive. <laughs> you had no, weapons well, now. Yeah, well, the vehicles and stuff, there was something very G.I. Joe-esque about that Arctic line. Uh, but the way that some of the vehicles were designed and things, they were, it was very cool. And I immediately latched onto that. And that was a, a big uh, toy of mine. That's actually what started a lot of my Lego purchases because I was then uh, very much into Lego and buying quite a lot of Lego or getting a lot of Lego bought for me. And another line for myself at the same time was Batman. I was very much into the Batman animated series. Obviously, the Batman animated series had started in 1991, 92, but uh, as it goes, we only got the toys here and the show in, I think, three. So I was buying lots of them. I suppose as a kid, I was suckered into all of the different variations of Batman, the lightning suit and the parrot drop suit and all that stuff. So I actually amassed quite a collection of Batman toys, and which also ended up starting up my, my Batman's shrine collection. Aside from G.I. Joe, I tried to collect the classic version of Batman from every subset. So that was something that kept me get, uh, going, but they were never great toys to really play with. They were just, you know, cool toys to collect. I was, uh, it was weird. It's like I started my toy collecting with Batman, if I have to put it out there. But Lego was a thing like playing. I, I always played with Lego. I always built new things, created my own little custom characters, and they all had their own little story maker. Very much trying to emulate what I was doing with G.I. Joe before that. And then, uh, as many of you would know, there was a, the G2 line of Transformers. That was something that came out there around that time, 94, 95. I think they're still some of the most clunky Transformers you get. And the reason I say that is because I, uh, I had quite a good experience with Transformers because my Chinese friend, Dave, he's got quite a, a, quite a good Transformers collection, but it's the Japanese stuff, so it's all Takara Transformers. And as Steve was mentioning, with the Asian releases of Transformers just seem to have something about them that's a little bit special. they just a cut above the standard uh, Transformers packaging and everything. And there's something very unique about Takara's Transformers. All the toys, they just stood out so much against the, the stuff that we were getting on shelves here from that G2 line. You know, not necessarily from a gimmick point of view, but just the quality of the plastic being thicker. I don't know, just little things like that that were there. And uh, I was a little bit let down by Transformers, but I did buy my, my fair share as a kid. And I still have some of them lying around now. And um, yeah, I mean, this, this is the first drought we're talking here. Right, guys? Yep. We'll get yeah. into our most recent drought. Just perhaps see if there's anything enlightening about uh, how the first in, informs the second, to be honest. Because G.I. Joe went through some troubled times. I mean, out of 1994, there was that sort of commemorative 1997 collection, but um, they weren't yet firing on all cylinders. I remember these Stars and Stripes box set being very subpar. Though at the same time, there were some gems that came out of that line like uh, Robert's A-10 Thunderbolt, which is essentially yeah. a rattler in uh, camo colors. But in 1994, I was 10 years old, Rob was 11 or 12, and this was the start of some very dark times, a.k.a. the 90s. I remember getting very much into whatever slightly larger scale action figures were available that kind of took on after G.I. Joe, that included things like James Bond Jr. Uh, and, and Toxic Crusaders, which were fun, <laughs> yeah. but my goodness, I look back and, and just cringe. Uh, I think a lot of G.I. Joe collectors probably didn't even notice these lines because we, we're an interesting age group. We kind of caught G.I. Joe right in its dying moments. Um, 
and were still very much into toy purchasing and playing with and collecting after G.I. Joe had left us. So where did that leave us? Perhaps with Lego, um, but in terms of action figures, superheroes became the big thing. So in those early years of toy biz's um, superhero lines, we went crazy on the, the uh, uh, Spider-Man and, and X-Men action figures. I mean, they were freely. Tra- yeah. yeah, they were. I mean, there, there was such a frenzy around those that I remember them being traded in school at one stage. Of course, you know, G two Transformers Sorry. were also pretty big, and um, Micro Machines actually became yes. quite a firm favorite because Micro Machines started putting out Star Wars. So all of a That's sudden, right. you, could get, you could get little Star Wars vehicles and uh, also. Slightly larger Star Wars vehicles that had opening cockpits as part of the Action Fleet line. I so, love that line. Sorry. <laughs> these were Sorry, touching on G.I. Joe's popularity because you had figures that could interact with the vehicles, but they were still micro-machines, and so the scaling was problematic. I mean, I, I almost embarrass myself to think about how I used to play with those minifigures as my sort of protagonists, as my like mm. action figures. And they couldn't hold weapons, they had very limited posability, and let's face it, you probably looked kind of ridiculous, like hunching over these tiny little guys, some of them on these you know fixed bases and sort of fixed poses as well. And trying to, I don't know, use them as conventional toys. Mm. They only really shone when they were in the, their vehicles. Which just reminds me of why G.I. Joe is such a special line, because you've got the best of both. It's the perfect scale. Here, here. One of the other, one of the other things that was pretty amazing about those uh, action fleet lines, um, some of the TIE pilots, I don't know if you remember, had removable helmets. No, I don't remember the that. Tie, the TIE interceptor pilots were, had a removable helmet. That's it's impressive. It's actually pretty amazing. Well, yeah, I, I, was, gonna, I was quite blown away. I don't, know if, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I don't remember that because I never had a TIE interceptor, or I don't remember that because you're making it up. No, no, I'm really not <laughs> making it up. Like you can look it up. I, in fact, if you still got those action fleet guys, I would urge you to look through them and see. You'll see some of them have removable helmets. I do know that Darth Vader's sort of the shell top helmet portion of his uh, sculpt was removable. So you might well be right. But then what? Is there a fleshy head underneath? Um, it's a flesh, and it had. I remember it had eye, eye detail as well. It had these like a gunmetal style eyelids. And they did try to put a little bit of detail on it. I was quite impressed. Impressive. I don't remember that at all. That's so weird. So, I mean, you flash forward to when G.I. Joe really came back in a strong way, and that was kind of when uh, Devil's Due started up the comic books and Hasbro fired off its new sculpt era. And for a moment, I was swept up in it. Well, we both were, Rob and I. Mm. And then we realized that Actually, these are kind of shit. Mm-hmm. And then we went back in a big way into completing, or filling holes at least, because we're not completionists, uh, filling holes in our vintage collection and uh, buying up whatever eBay had on offer. Getting all the classic figures that we obviously missed, because, as I say, we only really started buying G.I. Joe off the pegs in late 80s, sort of 88, 89, 90, mm-hmm. 91. And that's yeah, how we no, dealt with the drought, I guess. I mean, ultimately, we, want, we, we, we relegated ourselves back to rediscovering the old school. Well, like I said, with the Batman thing, with being a toy collector, I 
like collecting figures again. Um, and that had a lot to do with, you know, GI Joe, uh, and you know, filling in a gap where I remember the GI Joes bringing me so much joy that I was kind of trying to find that in other figures and other lines, with the disappointment of not being able to actually bring GI Joes into South Africa, uh, being in, working in the comic shop or working in Anime Works. There was restrictions on that. You can't bring G.I. Joe's or Star Wars figures into the country unless you're like uh, one of the big license holders here in South Africa. So that was kind of a bummer as well. And I, I fell into New Sculpt's uh, territory as well. It actually nearly put me off G.I. Joe's. I mean, I remember the excitement I felt when I, I found a two-pack of Snake Eyes Shadow with a DVD. I found it in Checkers. I just about the three backflips right there in the toy aisle. <laughs> Ninja style. Yeah, and then only to find out that they were kind of shitty, you know, when I got home. Yeah, so that was upsetting. Yeah, the new sculpt is a bit of a blight on our collecting. I mean, I know they don't see the light of day in my collection now, which is a pity. But you know what? If we didn't get some level of innovation that gave us the new sculpt, we wouldn't have gotten the kind of ballsy move that the 25th anniversary was. And ultimately, the 25th anniversary paid off because that is the future of G.I. Joe, and I'm pretty sure we've all been won over by now. It really has challenged and won against the venerable O-Ring sculpt. You guys are more in love with the O-Rings than I am, mostly because I don't have a lot of access to the O-Rings anymore, but it's cool because you guys keep me there. You guys keep me in the O-Ring love without that sounding dirty. Well, my friend, you must never forget where all this came from and the magic that these toys held for us. Let's face it, we'll never be able to really relive the fun that we had with our action figures. And that's why those first few that we had become more and more important the older we get. And we can amass collections a thousand figures deep, but mm. we'll never really be able to reach that pot of gold, you know? We're just yeah. chas- chasing the rainbow. Oh, this is a depressing episode, my goodness. <laughs> Okay. Get cool now. Will it? Yes. We are chasing the rainbow once again. You know, with the movie being bumped back and, and action figure releases similarly being bumped back, we have been sitting in this quagmire of no new releases for some time now. And I must say, I've just stopped buying toys. With no new Joes on the horizon, I've got no reason to keep buying stuff. Okay, that's a lie. Shit. <laughs> I just bought an at at and a Masterpiece Transformer. But... In terms of actual three and three quarter inch or four inch characters, nothing. Not a damn. G.I. Joe is the be all and end all of my action figure collecting. So yeah, I mean, I, I guess I've kind of thrown in the towel, <laughs> as it were. Because, I mean, my, our tastes are so refined that if, if there's no, or my taste at least, I don't know, speak for myself, uh, it's so refined that if there's no Joe, if there's no, no new G.I. Joe available, there are no new action figures that I that I will dabble in. It's that simple. I mean, I was looking at the various superhero action figures that are available in that scale, and they're just they're just subpar, man. I mean, sure, I, I I could fill holes in my my three and three quarter or four inch action figure or superhero collection, but they just they're rather bland. Don't come with a great deal of accessories if they come with accessories at all. And it seems like there are about maybe three or four basic figure sculpts that just have different heads and paint jobs. I mean, Mm. I wouldn't blame them. One superhero physique is pretty much like another's. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't really do much for me, I'm afraid. 
I think it's uh, also a fact that we're not big superhero guys. Like, we enjoy superheroes. I love superheroes. I love comic books and stuff. But and I, for a long time, when I was a kid, uh, during the G.I. Joe draft, the initial one, uh, always wished that those Toyverse figures actually were uh, as articulated as G.I. Joe. In fact, my buddy Dave and I, we used to purposefully look for the, the, the most well-articulated X-Men toys. Pardon me. So, like, if they, had super, if they had super abilities and stuff that made their arms punch and stuff, we didn't buy them. So that's why, like, Deadpool Deadpool was not a character that I bought when I was a kid because that stupid slice and dice action and that irritated the hell out of me. Oh, what are you talking about? Deadpool didn't have a slice and dice action. He had a molded sword in the one hand. But his articulation... No, that was, that, was, that was his crime. Sorry, then I'm thinking of Shadowstar. My bad. Oh, yes. Well, guilt is charged. I had both of those figures, but I loved the X-Force subsets of that uh, X-Men line. I would have had them all if I could find them all. I think I've managed to encounter Cable, Deadpool, Kane... Strife and Shadowstar. And between Rob and I, we had pretty much all of those. Yeah, we were very much X Force fans. Also, because we had so many of the comics for some reason, I think. No, well, I, well, have, I also have Strife and Cable. I just don't know. It was the heyday, of, the heyday of Rob Liefeld. <laughs> and his millions of teeth and tiny, tiny feet. And those rather <laughs> over designed guns. Hey. <laughs> As children, we lapped that shit up. Did any of you guys ever get Sergeant Savage's stuff the, from G.I. Joe? I always passed it up. I knew this was not G.I. Joe. It was like, who the fuck is this? And why is he bigger? He had the same <laughs> articulation. He even had some of the same weapons, I think. But it just, it, it was naff. They came with videotapes and... Mine didn't come with a videotape. All right. I think that was one specific release. But yeah, I, I, I saw through it immediately. It had G.I. Joe on the packaging, but this was definitely not G.I. Joe. And I knew that it wouldn't interact well with my Joes. And for some reason, I think I'd been conditioned into really liking the more jazzy-looking characters. And to pick up very World War II, very plain green characters somehow put me off at the time. I guess I really bought into the Ninja Force. (laughs) That's where (laughs) G.I. Joe was at. Ninja Force, Star Brigade, like futuristic-looking or sort of mystical warrior-looking figures were rocking my world. Very plain Jane, green, torn-shirted soldiers not ringing my bells. It's weird to think that now, because my tastes have certainly flip-flopped the other way. One of the saddest things for me was working in a toy shop in Fourways, uh, much later, like in 96, well, 95, actually, as it was. I think it was. much later. That's the era no, we're dealing with. <laughs> it was actually quite a bit later because that Sergeant Savage stuff had come and gone, kind of thing. And there were still traces of it. And I was walking and a G.I. Joe logo caught my, my eye. And I sort of ran into the toy shop. It was a countdown, the Star Brigade countdown. And a Star Brigade target. Cool. This. They're very cool. Like, Doesn't countdown very, just very look cool. like Captain America goes to space in that outfit? He, he does. Red, he does. white, and blue. <laughs> But you know what? Who was I to be picky then? Because I was so, like, daft of G.I. Joe's. And didn't Target have a very fetching purple color scheme? Yeah, no, I like Target's golden purple t- uh, color scheme. Purple helmets! <laughs> <laughs> the sad thing is he didn't have his... They didn't give him back his backpack. That was the sad thing. That was the, the true sadness there. Oh, uh, it was a sadness with all the Star Brigade figures. Except, you know, Ozone's accessories I could gladly uh, skimp on. <laughs> Countdown didn't have his cool backpack or his awesome SMG, I think that kind of closes the chapter on how we deal with droughts. <laughs> well, that was the original drought. We look elsewhere. 
Why? How do you deal with this current drought? I suppose you've gone full time into sideshow, so you don't really care, yeah. Paulie. Robbie, oh, what are you yeah, up to, my man? How's How's GI Joe in your life? I suppose you've thrown in the towel, have you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I suppose I could I, I could get some of the older stuff, but I mean, it's it's nice just to wait for to see what's coming next. I mean, I just remember being a kid; it was just so much easier to go, oh, Anthony Wall Joe's. Let's just play with other things like. You know, like Ring Raiders or something. <laughs> My point, though, is G.I. Joe still had the kind of lion's share of our playtime. Sure, we discovered, yeah, no. we discovered, we discovered other lines, but G.I. Joe was the enduring one. They kind of were the gold standard, and we dabbled with the superheroes, but we eventually always came back to G.I. Joe. And we dabbled with Transformers, yeah. but we always came back to G.I. Joe. Yeah, very yeah. much so. Yeah, no, I think that is true. It's it's what, yeah, it's the base. It's what we've moved from. But I mean, I, I don't know, in times when there isn't anything else, I'll just, I just like collecting stuff sometimes. I don't know. Like getting a new Gundam or something. Yeah, um, I, I, I had that problem too. New Gundam being a touchy subject for you, Robbie. I believe uh, you suffered a loss this week. It was my perfect grade, Stark Rouge and Sky Ground. Uh-huh, what happened? Well, thank, thank, nothing happened to the figure itself. But my grandmother, in trying to find a TV guide in my room, somehow dislodged the skyglasses from the top of the bookcase where I put it safely. And it fell. And basically the wing snapped. Uh, hmm. Have you painted the... No, I haven't. I can help you fix it. Okay. There are ways and means. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I suppose we could glue it back together or something like that. But um, it just annoys me. Uh, it annoyed the hell out of me too. That's why everything is out of reach. <laughs> well, I thought this was out of reach, and then instead of telling me about it, yeah. he put it in a plastic bag and put it in the bottom of my cupboard. <laughs> Cowardice, I tell you. Passive aggressive, eh? So yeah, I think when I'm next to my room, I'm, I'm going to be packing away my strike rouge from its uh, position on top of the cupboard in case another accident occurs. Because I mean, the strike rouge for me is the most expensive toy that I've ever bought. $250, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'd hate to get broken in anyway. So, that's why I leave most of my collection at Stephen's place. Yeah, it's safer there. Exactly. Not, not from Steve, but it's safer there. <laughs> <laughs> this, I'll take care of it, I think, or at least appreciate it, you know? No, exactly. Oh, yeah, I'll play the hell out of that shit. <laughs> yeah, especially yours, <laughs> but his. Your, your vintage Sky Striker does uh, perfect landings on asphalt all the time. <laughs> Paul, you wanted to say something uh, about how G.I. Joe can stay dominant in the toy market uh, these days. Yeah. I was looking at toys, and I was looking at what does really well at the moment. And I think some of the things that would help G.I. Joe uh, sort of re-dominate the, the toy industry, the one thing is transformable vehicles. That sounds really random, but transformers do really well um, in all the toy shops. Kids love transformers. They love the transformers movie. love stuff that changes. They like blown away by it. So if they actually, if the Joe's actually had really cool vehicles, like a warthog or whatever that transformed into some other kind of vehicle or into a robot or something, I think that would add a lot more appeal back to the line, especially for kids, which would help boost the, the, the line's popularity. And it needs to be nice, robust transformation, not, not finicky little um, pieces that you have to take off and then reassemble onto a character. As much as I love that, because I love Japanese figures, it's not kid-friendly. Well, I don't know if you're going to be happy to hear this, but there's a new slew of uh, Transformers Star Wars. <laughs> oh, God. Your favorite. Well, it sells like hotcakes, buddy. Exactly. Exactly. Now, imagine a hitch tank. A nice big 
tank, tank like we're, we're used to, and it transforms into a robot drone. Or well, you're dealing with into... two properties that outsell G.I. Joe. Exactly. That being Star Wars and Transformers. You know, if if one of those married G.I. Joe, and you're suggesting that it be Transformers, it would be a case of, like, Hasbro's bigger property helping out its smaller property. Or at least that's mm-hmm. what it seems like to me. I mean, what do I know about the actual sales uh, data? Uh, yeah, true. But, I mean, it's easy to see. If you go to the toy shops and you see all the military stuff, the, like, stuff that's the same scale, similar scale to G.I. Joe, and you see the Transformers stuff, there's the Transformers stuff left on the shelves. Mm. And Star Wars stuff also flies off. Okay. But then again, Star Wars also, the small vehicles, you know the, the, the small vehicles that are done for Clone Wars? That's another thing that G.I. Joe could have. It's more small kind of vehicles like what in the Clone Wars. You know, and they're really effective. They're great. And I mean, they're not that expensive either. And they've got some great play features, you know, to them. I especially love that one dropship where you have the little backpack on the, on the trooper himself and then you can make them into the back of the ship and then they can like carry like three, him and two buddies or whatever. You know, that kind of thing. And that's something I definitely think needs to happen. My criticism also, of that is it seems forced. <laughs> it's like we're catering to a certain price point and compromising on perhaps the values that make G.I. Joe so special. It's very obviously a little vehicle so that someone of lesser means or, or lesser space can just have something to zoom around their room. It's not necessarily yeah. a, a particularly well-designed piece, a particularly practical piece. But, granted, but it creates I mean, variance in the line. Look, that dropship... something different and interesting that brings people in. Yeah, sure. That dropship is an example of a winning concept. But then there are other concepts within that same breath that are less, shall we say, staggering in their execution. And that silver shuttle... I think it comes with an Obi-Wan or something. It looks like a, a Naboo Star Cruiser. Yeah. <laughs> because it's silver and graceful looking. But it has space for one occupant. And it just it looks pathetic. Honestly. It just looks like no, a s- scaled down, zoomed in, yeah, piece of shit. <laughs> undersized, woefully undersized, and just bland, featureless. Another thing I could do as well is, okay, I don't love this idea. But I'm trying to think of ideas to bring the Joe line back. If you look at a lot of game, a lot of stuff out at the moment, there's a lot of like card game, collectible, this, collectible, that, role playing, blind figure kind of thing going on at the moment. It would be very cool if they released GI Joe that had like a a basic armor complement, but you could buy like blind packets, get special armors, and then those armors gave them special strengths, and then they could be used for, like some kind of role playing card game. That'd be another idea. I'm less sold on the card game and more sold on your idea to have blind packs of armor. That sounds crazy cool. Mm. Wow, what a great concept. Just like add a little bit of surprise to the line. And yeah, you could do some fantastic pieces. Kind of like centurions, like snap-on armor portions. That yeah, make... well, exactly. I mean, how cool are those little mega block halo figures that you can remove their arms and their heads and their torsos and make your own sort of halo hybrid like you can in the game? That's what you do when you play multiplayer. You make your own little Spartan, you know? I just, I find typically that accessory packs that don't have a figure attached to them are, also... they're dead in the water. They do not sell. I mean, 
it just doesn't make economic sense to a child or to the parents. It's like, why am I buying you this? Sure, it's cheaper than the, the carded figure next to it, but you're not getting what you need to actually enjoy the stuff that you get. I mean, it's a very collector-friendly concept, but not one that would do great business on a, on a mass retail level. And that's why we've got things like Marauder Inc. that cater specifically mm-hmm. towards our equipment needs. But yeah, it's a great idea, Paul. I, yeah. In an ideal world, something like that would exist. Personally, yeah, I think cool. G.I. Joe stays dominant in my eyes and hopefully the rest of Collectordom's eyes by just having the best quality presentation. Mm-hmm. The fact that they do involve a degree of innovation, but within boundaries. Like they never get too sold on gimmicks. And if there are gimmicks, they're in moderation. The innovation that want. really keeps G.I. Joe on top is the level of articulation and the way they conceal the articulation. That is what I mean by innovation within boundaries. Like these aren't going to negatively affect the toy. They're not going to infringe on what G.I. Joe's actually always been about, and that's the poseable modern action man. The third thing that that keeps G.I. Joe on top, and this specifically caters toward us, is the nostalgic resonance that it has for us. And so more nostalgically designed packaging will always win over to sort of newer, flashier efforts. And you know what? I think we can foster an appreciation for the old school packaging style and, and presentation style in a new generation of G.I. Joe's because let's face it, that was the coolest way to make G.I. Joe sell. I mean, it just looked so damn good to us. I mean, exactly. modern efforts are good, but the old school efforts were better. And I think, oh man, why can't anyone else see the wisdom of that? Actually, no, I lied. Well, sorry, Hasbro has seen the wisdom of that. This Atat that I just bought comes yeah. in the retro Return of the Jedi styling box. It's exquisite. When this AT-AT was initially released, it had the jazzy current Star Wars packaging style box. Now, it's old school. I go to Toys R Us, all the Star Wars action figures on cards are on retro style cards. It's no yeah, longer... Like, because they're doing their whole thing. So. No, it's no longer a precious thing. That is the standard release style for Star Wars action figures, or so it seems. Which... Well, they're also going through their sort of 25th anniversary line. And it's right. I agree with you. I fully agree with you. I actually think a great way to modernize the packaging now would be to use old-school packaging with somebody like Mike Thompson's art. The guy's been doing like, character art for the new, for the POC stuff. I like his work a lot. I think his work is great. But I just don't like the package designs. I think it, it loses everything that the original 25th lines have. And to see his great artwork on those original cards, that would be great. And also file cards. File cards need to come back. I hate this, like, three-line, and, like, the three-line basically say he's a diver. Yay. He <laughs> comes with a mini railgun. <laughs> no, exactly. What shit is that, you know? Cool. So that's what I'm... I, I, those are some things that I think need to definitely come back. And also one big thing. Um, and I've been thinking about this for a bit. If you look at specifically the Star Wars line, which I'm sure you are quite um, close to at the moment, Steve, and if you look at um, G.I. Joe, uh, and not the shitty movie stuff that's come out in the first wave, but the POC and the 25th, there's a quality to those figures. They really, really are very well sculpted. And they've got some amazing paint apps. There's something, there's a quality there. And you can definitely feel that lots of quality when you see the, the movie-based figures. What I'm trying to get at here is that Star Wars is a lot more mass market at the moment, so keep Star Wars mass market. Why don't they start making G.I. Joe, you know, like more of a collector's line instead of on pegs and stuff and worrying about the kids market why don't they make it into a collector's line for us specifically oh, for 
we've spoken about this before. I mean, you move yeah. into a collector's market when your line is punch drunk and heading for the ropes. Let's face it, your cash cow is selling to children. They are yeah. the, the mass market. You know, the people surviving in this hobby into their late 20s and 30s, 40s plus, I mean, we are minuscule. I mean, there are three of us in South Africa. A nation of how many million? Six million? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're the tip of the iceberg, mate. I hate it, but it's true. So, keep Joe as marketable to kids as possible, and it ensures that uh, the line that we love and enjoy will last forever. <laughs> you might be on the end of the way, because if you look at the rise of Cobra Line, there's a lot of ideas that they did there that a lot of collectors don't really appreciate, but maybe a lot of kids did. And that is why we got such a sterling line afterwards. That's why we got POC afterwards. So maybe this like, new movie line, this new um, uh, retaliation line, does really well with the kids. And we actually get a lot of those figures that we've seen prototypes of. You know, that would be something to look forward to. Our final segment for this episode deals with our top three non-G.I. Joe toys. <gasps> Blasphemy. I mean, of necessity, we have to have other toys that we enjoy. I don't think they'll ever necessarily usurp G.I. Joe. But every once in every while, they might just come close. For me, they're all rather recent purchases. Because let's face it, as a child, G.I. Joe was top of the pops. Nothing came close. And as an adult, looking back, I can examine the reasons why nothing came close. And a lot of those reasons were dealt with in this very episode. They weren't articulated as well. They didn't have the level of interactivity that G.I. Joe had. They didn't have the depth of equipment and wealth of, of stuff that G.I. Joe had. So, the toys that I've selected are very much complementary to G.I. Joe, and quite simply, my top hmm, three, two really, but okay, maybe there's a third in the list. Number one would be the Scope Dog, released by Takara's Microman line not too long ago. It's Joe oh, Scale. Really? Comes with a Microman Kirko Guvi. And oh, it's cool, just... Uh, it is a, a, a G.I. Joe-scaled mecha that is fully interactive. The cockpit hatch opens, the controls can be manipulated, the head moves, it's fully articulated, it has kick-ass rifle. If you've watched Votoms, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, this is a very, very cool anime. I think it's it debuted in either 82 or 83, so it kind of almost predates G.I. Joe in, in many respects. But it dealt with these super cool mecha not necessarily the thrust of the show because it dealt with a whole lot more but the iconic thrust of the action sequences were these mecha which were not giant it was the first slew of real world mecha that had real world properties like they looked like they were purpose built they looked like they could be manufactured out of existing technology Yeah, they were not the sort of giant robot from Mars Jap animation. It was always a very, very appealing category of anime to me because I really bought into the real world detailing. You know, I enjoyed the mechanical side of it as opposed to this kind of super robot, superhuman machine, which is a bit hokey, really, in the final analysis. You guys in Japan, uh, there's a guy actually has a has an art project. I think he spent four years, five years, and he actually made a. Uh, life-size scope dog, kind of metal and all that, and it's got some basic functionality. It has problems with the walking, but it can roll. And then he's actually gone on to make a his own brand of mecha that he's actually selling. So if you have about ten and a half million rand, 
sitting around, uh, he'll make you want to order. Wow. <laughs> Hold the phone. I'm sending him an email right now. <laughs> I think if we club together, guys, we might uh, be able to afford it before we die. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> we can decide where we're going to put it. Where we're going to keep it, though. I'll be buried in it, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, number two, or maybe it's number one. I couldn't really order these, but um, it's the Millennium Falcon. They did a bang-up job recently, and while they'll never produce a scale-accurate Millennium Falcon, this one is sublime. It is enormous and has everything you would come to want from Millennium Falcon. A decent play space on the interior, complete with features, sound and light features. I mean, every time I light up those engines, it's just sex in a saucer. (laughs) Uh, And it's got that kind of Star Wars hokiness appeal to it. But that's why it's a hit. It's Han Solo's Cadillac of the Spaceways. And for the first time, you've been able to have four action figures in the cockpit. I mean, not even Lego was able to achieve that. Yeah, until recently, yeah. And it's got some very, very sexy little little features. I mean, the fact that the boarding ramp has these two little lights that switch on as you open the ramp, it just it breathes a new depth into that toy. And it's got great weathering detail. It's got a functioning um, turret gun. And it's very cleverly worked out. The features kind of have a, a logical flow to them. And the voice clips... Almost tell a little narrative. I feel like I'm really recreating A New Hope when I'm playing with that thing. And not to mention the fact that it comes with a winning version of Han Solo and Chewbacca. I think that's the finest Chewbacca version ever produced. The articulation is out of this world for Star Wars. It doesn't leave me wanting in any way. And it's all very well concealed. All the joints are kind of concealed by a row of shaggy fur. Number three, I can't really say this for sure because it's a very recent acquisition, but once again, it's a big-ticket item from Star Wars, the All-Terrain Armored Transport, or AT-AT. I came here hoping to find it. I managed to find it very quickly, and it is a super-duper vehicle. Um, I think, quite possibly, had I had this as a child, it would have ousted the Hammerhead as my favorite vehicle because it's just gargantuan. And to be honest, that's exactly what it needs to be. Once again, not scale accurate, but this toy would have dominated everything. Just like it did in that sequence in The Empire Strikes Back, its size is its greatest asset. And it just dwarfs and stomps right over everything. Uh, These are unstoppable machines, and its appeal is hard to fight. And, I mean, this latest iteration is its size is augmented, its features are are multiplied. I could speak about it for a while, but, you know, check it out online, guys, if you haven't seen this bad boy. Or, better yet, put it on your Christmas wish list. There seem to be plenty clogging Toys R Us these days. And, hey, the the case of Shitfoot isn't that bad. And if you really hate it, you could paint over it. (laughs) So I'd say the the Endor at-at is not not a complete loss if you missed the Empire Strikes Back release. And the packaging is just so damn sexy with its old-school stylings. Did it come with a figure? It came with an AT-AT driver. And I'm kicking myself oh, because, you know, I bought two AT-AT drivers thinking I'd one day buy myself an AT-AT. It should have come with a General Viz. Yes. But that would be the Empire Strikes Back version. Strikes Back version, yeah. Mm. Mm. It, you know, it would have been nice if it came with an Imperial officer because they're, I, I imagine, harder it's to get a, 
Well, yeah, exactly. You can get at-at drivers quite easily. But the, the kind of Imperial driver or Imperial commander that would, would man these things is uh, a little bit less common. Anyway. So it came with no figure? It came with one figure. Okay. One driver. Yeah. No, I know. Like, I mean, I hear, I started thinking of buying one with all of those amazing features and all of the splendor that Steve was talking about. Yeah, and it only comes with one figure. Cool. I'm so, I'm like actually put off now. <laughs> Hoo, 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 guys. I mean, let's face it. I'm not planning on populating it with Star Wars figures anyway. This bad boy's going to have a... It's like, it's not great. He's going to have a buttload of vipers inside and, uh, you know, Cobra Commander at the helm. No, listen, I'm, I'm actually, like, really jealous. I won't, but... Yeah, I'm really jealous, too, of any person who manages to cart this damn thing back to their actual place of residence. I don't quite know how I'm going to get this on the plane. <laughs> Warning to anyone out there, the legs and neck, I think, are once or fit. So once you've snapped them all together, you're never going to get that thing back in its box. <laughs> I'm fucked. <laughs> it's going to have to be climbing onto my back. I'll try and convince the air crew that this is my robot dog. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, that's my top three non-G.I. Joe toys. How about you, Robbie? My three. I actually struggle to think of three things that are like more than Joe's. I think about even just, like, vehicle-based things. Like, I think the only vehicles I earn are Joe vehicles. And, it, yeah, so I have my time. Um, but probably one of my favorite non-Joe toys, probably because it was the first thing I ever ordered from eBay, was um, the Takara Tomy Transformers Refuel Skids. Oh, cool. What I like about him is that he's so, he to me feels like the most true and most appropriate transformer because he transforms into like the most un- unobtrusive little like two door vehicle. Oh, most of the other transformers become like many fast cars. I think he just fits in more appropriately. Like you would definitely see it. See a whole bunch of these cars on the road wherever he is. And yeah, as even said earlier, just the fact that it came in a beautiful sort of box packaging just added so much like magic and like awesomeness to this figure, and just the toy in general. And you open it up, you could see him in there, lounging around in plastic, and you just pulled it out, you transformed him, you applied the stickers yourself. And just that experience of not really customizing, but I think this sort of making it your own sort of just adds to the fact that this is my toy, and I, I just I like him a lot. Little chrome finishes, and his transformation is also, I think, a bit different from some of the other figures, which I quite like. So, yeah, he's probably one of my favorite non Joe figures. Yeah, and the blue coloring as well is, is it's a strong blue, it makes him look like a strong character. And I think, I mean, I, if I remember correctly, he was in the, the TV series as well in the episode with um, the Insecticons, I think. Jeez, you're really stretching my, my, yeah. <laughs> stretching my memory, buddy. I for some yeah. reason for some reason I think of Skids being the least used uh, of those G1 sort of initial Autobot cars. He seems to kind of be shafted a bit in terms of the. Yeah, I mean, he disappeared almost as quickly. Or, I mean, probably just as quickly as um, was the, the one that's the Jeep. It was originally what's his name's friend, and then he just disappeared from the series to be replaced by Bumblebee. Hound. Uh, yes. Okay. Wasn't he like in the first two episodes, and they're suddenly like, oh, Bumblebee is my friend now. <laughs> I think Hound had a bit of an enduring quality because of his hologram gun, whereas Skids, mm-hmm. Skids' uh, main attribute was the fact that he had extremely powerful braking, <laughs> <laughs> which is only ironic because. 
given that his vehicle mode was like a Daihatsu charade lookalike, um, yeah. <laughs> I don't imagine he was achieving a high top speed to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> Ironic yeah. that the guy called Skids has uh, powerful brakes. Yeah, he just loved trying to drive really fast. <laughs> he was into drifting. <laughs> <laughs> But good pick, dude. I, I absolutely adore those reissue G1 Transformers. Yeah, they're, off, they're just hard to collect as well. And they're just, like, I just see them and see them run. And just all together. They, well, not all of them. They have all of them. But they're the majority of them that are worth getting. Well, 800 Rand mm-hmm. gets you a Starscream in that collection. I remember you vowed to get it. Alright. Let's keep my vow. So my second box of non toy... There's one we mentioned already, and that's the Strike Rouge, the perfect grade from Gundam C that comes with the Skycraft. Why I chose this is because it's the most expensive toy I've ever, ever bought, and that sort of puts a lot of a lot of worth upon it. Not just that, also because, once again, you, you build it yourself, even more so than with skits. Um, <laughs> obviously, you put the whole damn thing together. But like I just remember taking, I think, over a week, just sort of standing there, cutting the pieces off the and um, shaving them down and then putting, them together, putting it together very slowly, just enjoying it as it came together and then eventually having this marvelous toy that I've seen in the, in the anime. And yeah, it just has a lot of energy that's been put into it and it just means a lot to me. And I think, I think it's great. And the size of it as well, it's a lot of heft and the, the weightiness of, of the, the pieces. You can take it apart, you can look at the skeleton on the inside and put it together. And also the... So there's the potential. I mean, I never painted it, so I could still paint it if I wanted to. I mean, it would be quite an involved process, I think, as opposed to painting it straight off the screw. And the third choice, I haven't actually managed to like think of one. Like, probably my third choice is it's not one that I own, but I think it's one that I had so much fun with when I was younger. Would be the uh, the Deadpool figure from the sort of like Marvel six-inch uh, toy series. I choose him because, I mean, I had, I don't know, like, I didn't know who Deadpool was properly. I knew he was an assassin. I think we had one or two comics, like, with, with him fighting Wolverine. He had a cool personality. Well, then, when he came out, he wasn't the Deadpool he is today. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, and then, of course, you know, he was in the film, and he was quite shitty in that. But, I mean, when I saw him, I just imagined this exceptionally crazy, very powerful character. But somehow, it just... Uh, his look was just so unique and interesting. Mm. And I'm glad that, yeah, that he's become so popular today. And that's, you know, it allows you to keep following his adventures. You know, through <laughs> the <laughs> Yeah, adventures, yeah. I think that would be my third top non-G.I. Joe toy because of all the fun times that I had when I was a kid. That's really cool, man. Without further ado, how about you, Paulie? Your top three you? non-G.I. Joe toys. I think... Um, it's difficult for me to like nail down one specific like toy, but I can definitely nail toy lines mm-hmm. for the three. Um, the top one of those three is Gundam. Um, mm-hmm. Mecha. Yeah, Gundam, but it's got a lot to do with my love for Mecha. I buy a lot of the Master Grade model kits, uh, the Master Grade Higher Grade model kits. I've only got two. I've got two Perfect Grade, which are the Zeta and the Normal Strike, the L Strike. He is amazing. He's a really cool figure. But those model kits in general are great. I love um, the articulation. There's something to be said about a six-inch model kit that can bend its fingers and its mm-hmm. thumbs and can, you know, like really get into some serious posability that rivals some of the GI Joe stuff. It'll always be one of my favorite lines. 
the Gundam line as it goes forward. They've done some stuff that I don't like. They've done some things that I really love and will always love and have never stopped loving. So that's my one go-to when I'm feeling lonely without G.I. Joe's. Another line for me, once again, it's robots. Over the years, I've become more and more fond of Transformers. I had a very Transformerless childhood, actually. I only had very few Transformers as a kid. They were always sort of a rarity for me. And then the G2 Transformers weren't always that awesome, as I mentioned earlier in the show. But I do find the one or two that I really love. I'm actually quite a big fan of the Masterpiece stuff at the moment, as well as the new Transformers Prime. I've loved the stuff that's come out of the Cybertron games, as well as the Alternators or Binotech, uh, if you prefer. But them being different, the Alternators, I've already got the plastic ones, sadly. But I've, I've found a lot of love in Transformers. And then, wow, third line, Revoltics. I am quite sucked into Revoltics, yeah. Uh, so all I need is the right character, and I'll buy it immediately. You know, there's no second guessing there. Revoltics have always been a line that I've enjoyed since they first came out, so... Yeah, some good choices. I mean, I have to agree with Gundam. I mean, in general, they're just brilliant. And even if you don't have a connection with a specific figure because of watching the anime, you can still enjoy the design of the figures. Exactly. Um, they're just so well thought out. Um, and That's quite relevant much- to you, Paul, because you don't have a, a great love for Gundam Seed. You think that it's yeah. extremely <laughs> derivative, and yet uh, it's Ale Strike that you have a perfect grade of. Uh, The irony, uh, there's two reasons for that. One is um, the quality of the original perfect grades, the RX-78 and the Zaku, without getting into much, they're not that great as perfect grades. In fact, the master grades that they'd released uh, in the time when I was released by perfect grades were actually much better quality in terms of their possibility, detail, all that stuff. So that kind of made me skip on that. And I've seen, like, I had the the opportunity to see a, a strike, perfect grade strike built and to mess around with it, and I was like, it actually completely changed my opinion of the Strike Gundam, uh, which I hadn't loved, but didn't hate. And then a buddy of mine had to emigrate, and I got his. <laughs> so Score! Say, super score, and I got his Zeta Gundam. And the Zeta Gundam, also, I'm cursed with the Zeta Gundam, ironically, because every Zeta Gundam I've ever had a model kit of, or a figure of, or whatever, I've always managed to break something on it. <laughs> exception of the Zeta, of the perfect grade now. Which I actually managed to fix one or two things that he didn't build right originally. So, it's kind of funny. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Gundam Seed is not my favorite of the Gundam line. But I think it's decent. And with that, I think it's time to close off episode 16 of non-G.I. Joburg. Fans, yeah. all I can say is roll on the new stuff. It feels like years since we got a glimpse at the bright future that our G.I. Joes might have. And... uh it's getting to be quite arduous, this wait. <sighs> Need new it's toys! I mean, there's even a Dryden sideshow, dude. It takes forever for them to come out. Ah! Life sucks! <laughs> ah! No, <laughs> Dolly! <laughs> Dolly! <laughs> we're complaining so much, but it's a one-year wait. I mean, like, when we were kids, I suppose we didn't notice so um, much. Or the time passed quickly. feel that there's some pressure to put out a podcast about G.I. Joe. <laughs> and yet there's no G.I. Joe to podcast about. I can only imagine those fellas at Watson Joe Mines are having it tough too. I mean, far tougher, in fact. They're on a weekly deadline. Yeah, it's become more nostalgic about what's come before. Agreed. But there's only so much of that you can dabble in before you start wondering when the next big thing is going to start coming. Anyway, folks, it's been great to get back in the saddle. Now that we've established that we can, indeed, have episodes with the three of us spread across the globe, we will no doubt be doing this with more regularity. So, watch this space. And Yojo. Yojo. Yo. Yo.